Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes, which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We are making good progress in a year-long study through the book of Revelation, written by the Apostle John, the longest lived of the disciples of Jesus, lived to be an old man. If you remember in the latter days of his life, he was arrested as a preacher of the gospel in the Roman Empire and was sent to the prison island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. And if you remember, on a Lord's Day, on a Sunday, the Lord caught him up. And uh, after John fell at his feet in fear, Jesus laid his hand on him and showed him his love and his grace and his blessing. He gave the disciple John a three-point outline of what he wanted John to write for distribution to the churches. The three points of the outline, you should know them by heart. Number one, write down the vision of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. A very different vision than John had seen in all the years of Jesus' earthly ministry. He was no longer a man in peasant's clothing, but rather he was the risen, reigning, powerful Lord. The second part of uh, John's writing assignment was to write a letter to each of the seven churches of Asia Minor. That is what we're studying tonight. In fact, we are studying the final letter, letter number seven. Uh, And then next week we begin the third section or the third assignment of John's writing, what Jesus tells him to write, and that's God's prophecy of the future of the church and of the earth. So tonight, after this study, we will have completed sections one and two of John's writing assignment, and we will go on to the last section as we open chapter four next week. Tonight, we are going to look at letter number seven. It is the letter to the church at Laodicea, and it is contained in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. So get to that spot in your Bible. Now, more than any other letter of the seven letters, I see Jesus connecting the truth of his word with the earthly circumstances that we find in the city of Laodicea. I want you to listen very carefully to the description of this city because Jesus uses these facts about the city to develop some very deep spiritual truths about the church there. Laodicea was a city about 40 miles east of the city of Ephesus. It was situated in the beautiful Lycus River Valley. It was a city of great, great wealth. And basically, the city emphasized science and culture and literature. One of the biggest libraries of the ancient world was in Laodicea. Now, when we look at the church of Laodicea, Jesus was not the major object of worship within the city. The church was relatively small in comparison to all the other worship that was going on in the city, godless worship taking place in Laodicea. Most of the people of Laodicea did not worship Jesus, but rather they worshiped the god Zeus, Z-E-U-S, the supreme deity of the Romans. He was the god of the heavens. So the church that we're studying tonight had the potential 
to be a mighty ministry in the midst of a very lost city. A loss that certainly, as we look at the lost people there, worshiping a God that was non-existent, worshiping a God that was going to send them to hell because they were worshiping in the wrong way. A very rich, but a very lost city. Now, I want you to take, two, take note of these two items because you're going to hear them again in relation uh, to this scripture that we'll read tonight. First of all, Laodicea was known for three major industries. It was known for banking. It was known for an expensive clothing that was made from fine wool. And then thirdly, it was known for a medication that was used throughout the Roman Empire that took care of eye problems. It was an eye salve that the city produced that went all over the ancient world. So that was a major, major industry for the city. Now the second important fact about Laodicea was although it was located in a valley, the city was located in a geographical area that had a very, very short water supply. Because the city had very little water, uh, there was an underground aqueduct system that brought water to the city from a distant location. That aqueduct system was several miles long, and by the time the water got from its source and traveled the several miles and got to the city, it was tepid, it was dirty. Uh, and it had a very bad taste. So don't forget the water problem because Jesus uses that problem of the city to bring forth a very scathing truth about the church there. So let's read this letter to Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. Hear these words of God's word. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write... These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see." As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The seventh letter of the book of the Revelation uh, addressed to the church at Laodicea. 
Now, I remind you once again something that you probably should remember. Most of the seven letters, most of the churches addressed by Jesus in these seven letters had a word of commendation and a word of condemnation, a positive aspect of the church's ministry and also a negative side. Sorrowfully, Laodicea is the only church of the seven that has absolutely not one word of commendation from the Lord Jesus. Not one positive comment about their ministry. So tonight, we are addressing a sad church situation. Now, as I told you last week in these letters, we learn something about the character of Jesus when we study each one of these letters. Verse 14, Jesus describes himself in three ways. Number one, he says that he is the amen. Now, when we pray, So often, the congregation resonates back when the pastor or the church leader or the Sunday school leader concludes a prayer with an amen. We echo that amen. Uh, We are affirming the prayer together. The amen is an affirmation. It is an agreement that we are giving that prayer to the Lord God Almighty for His answer. Jesus is the last word. Of all the promises of God, just as amen is the last and affirming word of a prayer, Jesus is the last and affirming word of God Almighty. When all is said and done, when the rapture has come, when the great tribulation is over, when the judgment has taken place, when Satan is entombed forever, when heaven is opened and eternity begins, Jesus will then say, Amen, it is finished. And it is all because of the cross and the resurrection. He is the final word of the plan of God that opens heaven to every believer. He is the amen, the final word of God. Now the second thing that we learn about Jesus is this. He is the faithful and true witness. Jesus is the one alone who will reveal all knowledge to us without any clouding of the truth. He is faithful and true in his witness to us. Uh, You remember Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter of the Bible. He says that right now in these days, we look into a glass darkly. Basically what we're seeing in this life is like looking through a window pane that's been smoked over and you can't see completely through it, can't completely make out all of the truth that's on the other side. However, Jesus is the one who's going to clear up the vision. Jesus is the one who's going to reveal all truth to us. When we get to heaven, we will no longer look through the glass darkly, but rather we're going to look at Jesus, the truth and the witness of God, face to face. He will clear up that mirror that Paul talks about. The third truth that we learn about Jesus is that he is the beginning of the creation of God. Now, do not be confused with those words. That does not mean that Jesus is the first created being of God. That's not what that means at all. Rather, Jesus himself is the creator, the very first creation of God. Whatever it was, was created in the presence of Jesus. Jesus was there when the first creation of God took place. He himself is the creator 
who has always been at the beginning. When God began creation, Jesus Christ was there. And Jesus will be always in eternity forward, but also as we think in reverse, He has always been in eternity backward. Whatever God's first creation was, Jesus was there. Now, let's look at some of the saddest words that have ever been uttered against any church. Look at chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Jesus says this, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. A lukewarm church is the most dangerous church of all. I think this is on your sheet. A lukewarm church does not have the alarm of deserting Jesus, and it does not have the fire of serving Jesus. So the church does not know it's in trouble. It just plods along and never does anything. A lukewarm church is a very dangerous church. It just operates, but people gain absolutely nothing of spiritual value when they go to that body of Christ to open the Word of God. The church may meet every week, but nobody is saved because the gospel is so watered down and so weak that it is never proclaimed in a way that draws anybody to the salvation of Jesus Christ. It never brings anybody to understand that they need repentance. The, the gospel has been so watered down that everybody is just patted on the back and the word repentance and sorrow for sin is never introduced to the congregation. So nobody is saved because nobody knows they need to repent of sin. It's never mentioned. I believe that the lukewarm church ordains homosexuals as ministers. I believe that the lukewarm church will affirm relationships that the Bible stands absolutely against. I believe that the lukewarm church has no stand on alcohol, no stand on abortion. Those are just things that happen in our society, and we are to stand back and let them happen. I believe that the lukewarm church does not encourage or challenge families to stand on the Word of God. I believe that the, the, the husband and the father of the families is not challenged to take the leadership. Just Christ leads the church. The husband and the father is to lead the family. There's no challenge to the men of the church to be the leaders that they're supposed to be. I believe the lukewarm church is selective about who they're going to welcome through their doors. If you're not dressed right, if you don't have enough money in your bank account, then you're not welcome here because money is our bottom line. Our standing in the community is so important. So you have to be of certain standing in the community and a certain level of financial stability before you are welcome here. I believe that the lukewarm church rarely invites the lost in the community in so they can hear the Word of God. I believe that the lukewarm church rarely mentions hell, rarely mentions the fact that there is an eternity facing the lost and that eternity is hell. I believe that the lukewarm church will preach and teach feel-good messages and doctrine but will ignore the hard word of the Bible. 
That's one of the reasons that the Lord has drawn me to preach through particular uh, books of the Bible is because it leads me and makes me, as a preacher, cover every word, not to choose the good words, not to choose the dessert words, but to also choose the words that are hard and make us come before the Lord uh, in repentance and in what it means to change our lives. The, The lukewarm church is more concerned about money than it is about ministry. So the lukewarm church is a very dangerous church. The Laodicean attitude is just straddle the fence, keep the church doors open, keep the money rolling in, keep the traditions and the routines happening, but don't try to change society. Don't be the salt and the light and the leaven that introduces Jesus to a lost world. Just straddle the fence and keep the doors open. Now, this letter is clearly explicit in regard to God's feelings about such a church. I told you to remember Laodicea's aqueduct system. The water in Laodicea was not hot, and the water as it arrived in Laodicea was not cold. It had a dirty, stale, bad taste as it traveled from its source that several miles through that underground aqueduct. It it picked up germs and dirt, and it got... While it might have left its source cold, it got warm on the trip to Laodicea. And when a visitor came into the city and they were thirsty and they'd take a gulp of that water that just arrived in from the aqueduct system so often, it was so distasteful that they would spit it out. The Laodiceans had gotten used to that kind of water, but those who were new to the city couldn't stand the taste and the smell and the dirt and the the tepid nature of the water. God says, Church of Laodicea, you are so distasteful to me that I'm going to spew you, vomit you out of my mouth. A very explicit language. The more appropriate word here is vomit. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth because you are so distasteful to me. Just because the church has a building... Just because the church has a sign, just because you might meet on a weekly basis, just because you have a paid staff and people in the pews, that doesn't mean you're in God's will. What a letter this is. You know, some theologians have said that the letters, these seven letters are in a proper lineup and that they stand for a particular epics of the church's life through the centuries. That the first letter stands for the early church. And that's the church, of course, that lost its first love. The early church started out on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, but as the years passed, they lost their first love. So the churches are lined up in these seven lines to say this suits a particular epoch of time, Laodicea has been characterized as the church of today, the modern church, the, the, the church that characterizes what's happening in the church today. Now, as we think about this city, also remember that Laodicea is a very rich city. Look at chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed 
and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Now, evidently, the church in Laodicea is rolling in money, and their church perhaps was fancy, ornate. Uh, the people had the finest clothes. Remember, that's one of the great industries of the city. So fine clothing was a little cheaper for them to obtain because it was made there. Worship, perhaps, was polite, politically correct, so that it didn't offend anybody, especially the big givers of the church, because it was such a rich city. But Jesus said to them, you have all of the outward appearance of wealth. You have the finest of clothing. And the world sees this church as very well off. But the Lord says, as I look at you with my eyes, the world looking in sees a very rich church, an ornate church. But through my eyes, what I see is a church that is poor, a church that is wretched and pitiful and blind and naked and lost. So the Lord says, if you want to be rich, it's not by the money that pours in your offering plate. If you want to be rich, you need the gold of faith that is refined in the fire of the cross. That's what makes you rich. If you want fine clothing, you don't so much necessarily need the clothing that's manufactured in Laodicea, but you need the white covering of my salvation that will cover and forgive the shameful nakedness of sin in your life. So my forgiveness is the white clothing in opposition to the fancy clothing you can buy at the store. If you really want to see, you need the eye salve that's not the medicine that you produce in Laodicea, but rather that which truly clears up your eyes is the truth of my word. Every word of my word. And right now you're ignoring that truth, Laodicea. So you need my word to clear up your eyes and heal your blindness so you can see as the people of God what service and what love and what salvation and what repentance is all about. So in opposition to the eye salve that you make in Laodicea, you need clear eyes that are made clear by my word. That's the eye salve that you, church, truly need. Isn't it amazing how the Lord takes the earthly circumstances of a city and brings spiritual truth from them? Verse 19, Jesus assures the Laodiceans that he loves them, but he has to rebuke them and chasten them so that they will wake up. And the word that we see is so they will repent so that they will turn around from their sin. This charade that they've made their church come back to the Savior, come back to the Lord. They are not serving the Lord. They're not living for the Lord. Jesus is not the center of their church. He said, repent of that sin and come back to me. They need to get out of this pretend mode. And Jesus is commanding them to turn from being, here's on your sheet, you have to turn from being a clubhouse to being a lighthouse. Now, Chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 are probably some of the most familiar words in all the book of Revelation that we know. Uh, th these words have been used many times 
uh, when it comes to salvation and that the Lord knocks on the door of the heart. That is absolutely true. But we have to look at it tonight in context of what Jesus is truly saying to his church in Laodicea. Look then at uh, verse 20. Jesus says to this church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. So here we have the picture of Jesus Christ knocking on the door of his own blood-redeemed church. And he is asking to come in. He is asking to come in to his own church. Now, I, I know this is a, a, a heavy lesson tonight. Let me, let me give you a little something that, that will bring a smile. It's a story that I heard years ago about a little boy in shorts, a smudged T-shirt and uncombed hair and dirty face, and he shows up at the front door of a church one Sunday morning. And he wants to come in for the very first time. And just as this little dirty boy is standing at the front door of the church, the pastor's coming up the steps to come to church as well. He sees this little troublemaker, and he knew that he'd never been in church a day in his life, and he knew he'd probably bring a lot of problems into the Sunday school class and all of that. And he'd probably disrupt the worship service. So the pastor decided he needed to persuade him not to come in. So the boy asked the pastor, what time does Sunday school start? And the pastor avoided the question. And he said, son, I'm not really sure that you're ready for Sunday school. Why don't you sit down here on the front steps and ask God if you should come into this church? So the little boy dutifully sat down, as the pastor said, and the pastor went on in and about his business and through Sunday school hour and through the worship service. And when everything was done and the last hand was shaken and everything was closing down, the pastor came out of that same front door, and there was that little boy sitting on the step. So the pastor saw him sitting there and was quite surprised, but, but he finally said, Well, son, what did God tell you about coming into the church? And the little boy said, well, God said it was okay you didn't let me come in. He's been trying to get in here for years. <laughs> Can you think of a sadder picture than what it says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, that Jesus is knocking on the door of his own church, which he redeemed by the blood of the cross, and he's knocking on the door asking to be let in. That is one of the saddest pictures in all of the Bible that Jesus is knocking on the door of his own church. Without his power, without his presence, without his spirit, that church is not really a church. And that's exactly what the word to Laodicea is saying. As pitiful as Laodicea was, I tell you with all sincerity that the Lord could turn that church around. But they had to come to the point of repentance and sorrow and to say, Lord Jesus, we have committed sin against you. We open the door of our church and our heart and allow you to come back in. My request to you, friends, is very simple tonight. Will you join Pastor Clyde, Pastor Jeffrey, me? Will you join us in keeping the doors of this church open to the owner? We don't own this church. He bought it, he established it, he owns it. 
So join me tonight in saying, Lord Jesus, without you and without your presence among us, we can do absolutely nothing. We are weak and sinful, and without you, we will accomplish nothing. When every man and woman and boy and girl coming here, when our desire is to invite Jesus into his house, by his authority, he will make us the people of God that he wants us to be. You know, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 to me, and Pastor Cloud, I'm sure you feel the same way. These are some of the uh, most uh, sharp words of the Bible to the pastor. Here's what Hebrews 13, 17 says. Obey them that have the rule over you. That's the leaders of the church, those in authority in the church body. Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. So that means whether you're the pastor of the church or a Sunday school leader, if you have some leadership within the church, you and I will give account into the ways that we led the church body. My prayer as we gather together as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is that these doors are always open to the owner and that he is invited to every ministry that we do to lead us, to guide us. And as the church family, as we stand on the threshold of the future, collectively we say, Lord, you are welcome here. We need you here. We need your guidance here. We need your strength, your passion, your power here. We are surrendered to you, Lord. I surrender all to you. Every one of us needs to say that to him, not just the pastors. Every one of us need to say, Lord, I surrender all. You are welcome in your house. You are welcome in this place that you bought and established that we might serve you. Tonight, I pray that you and I, believers, will make that commitment to him, that recommitment to him that the doors of his house will always be open to the owner. And tonight, if you are here and you've never received Christ as Savior, he did die for you. He did die that we could be forgiven of sin and that we could indeed live out his purpose in our life. And we can never live his purpose and we can never be a church of his purpose until we receive him as Savior and allow him to be our Lord, our leader. Wherever he takes us, we will go. You know, Laodicea, Jesus said, was in a pitiful state of blindness and nakedness and poverty. They looked rich and they looked wonderful, but they were dying. And Jesus said, repent and come back to me. Let the owner in the house. Tonight, your heart, if you've never let Jesus in, it's in a pitiful state. It's in a state of dying. But if you will let your creator in, if you will let Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for you in, your Savior, then he will give you life. And he will give you the promise of eternity. Just come and say, Lord, I am sorry for my sin. I am sorry for what I have done against you. And I know I need salvation. All sin and all fall short of the glory of God. I am one of those all. I come to you tonight. If you need him, see Pastor Clyde. See me. Talk to a brother or sister here. And we will get you on that track of the word and uh, that, that path of coming to Jesus as your Savior. We look at Laodicea 
and we're sorry for this so-called church that had gotten so far away from God. But our prayer together tonight, brothers and sisters, is that we always allow the owner to come into his house.